Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is Internet Marketing. to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.com. This is Internet Marketing, and today I'm joined by Paul Curry, who is the editorial developer at BuzzFeed UK. Paul, how are you doing? I'm very well, Andy. Uh, we're going to be talking about casting new products into the market today, but before we do that, Paul, tell us a bit about yourself and a bit about BuzzFeed UK. So I'm one of two editorial developers at BuzzFeed UK, and we are a function of edit. We serve a technological demand from the writers and editors within BuzzFeed UK. At first, I worked in uh, media, in the advertising sector, then in startups. And through all of the roles that I've had, I always solve problems really quickly. If you're a startup, you want to get your um, technology sorted and on the road to raise capital. If you're a publisher, then you want to do it quickly so that you can rank fast on Google for the uh, topics. I basically have approximate technical knowledge of a whole load of different things. Mm. I've launched things from space. I've made Google more secure. I just do computers really well for companies. And now at BuzzFeed, I'm servicing editorial demand. And it's a really fun problem to address. Now, you did a talk recently at Brighton SEO, didn't you? It was entitled "Viral." Uh, sorry, sorry, Building Viral Web Toys at Lightning Speed. What's a viral web toy? So I would class a viral web toy as something that you want to get out quickly, a timely response. The original talk title was Building Things Quickly and Keeping Your Sanity, and it's a bit of a framework for doing that. If you were to define it, I would say it's something fun and maybe something branded if you are working for a brand, something that spreads because it's really fun to use, or maybe something social where friends make it a better experience. If it naturally spreads and you've done it fast, I would call that a viral web toy. So it's small and it spreads. Small and it spreads and you've got it done fast. Uh, It's usually a response to something that's happening in real time, which is why it would invoke a timely response. You might be doing it in response to the news or you might have queued something up like uh, the Olympics or an election, things that you know are going to happen. So what would you say is a starting point then? So you've created this, or you're you're about to create this viral um, website. What would be the starting point? So you've got to have a little look about what you've got in your company already. You may or may not have a development team already. And if you can reuse them, that's perfect. But it does take a developer with the right mindset. They have to be quite shameless. You're not always going to be putting your best work out onto the internet. So you have to be a little bit tongue in cheek and happy to put your name to something that is not necessarily perfectionist quality. Yeah. You also want artists who are really flexible and can work with absolutely minimal briefs and tiny, tiny timeframes. 
much the same as the developers, this isn't going to be award-winning work for them as far as direct artistic input goes. They're going to need to, you know, lower their output expectations slightly. And importantly, I would just say, if you are trying to reuse an existing team, give them a, a brief and very little time, less than you usually would, and leave them to it. See what they actually make. Trust their execution and stop micromanaging them mm. because you're going to need to trust them to make the right decisions to get something out on time anyway. There's no real rounds of approval process. There are some. You have to check yourself before you just put something terrible on the internet. But it, we're not talking you know, weeks to get sign-off for art, for copy direction. We're talking blocks of about 10 minutes or so <laughs> a lot shorter so i know that one of your idioms idioms is that the correct word idioms is um get things wrong and don't do them again now i'm a developer so I, i'm sort of i've worked to the agile sort of way of developing is that the same as fail fast that we hear so much about in agile yeah but it's just a little bit more honest um Agile is a really useful framework that you can use, and it does naturally result in really fast turnarounds. I would say my development style is more agile than anything else. Mm. Although I think my developing style was described as shit posting, but for GitHub by a colleague once, which uh, I thought was fantastic. But effectively, you are going to muck up at some point really, really publicly. And you have to be kind of happy with doing that. Style it out. Your work is in the spotlight when you're doing this and you will make mistakes. As long as you don't do it again, that's how you're going to grow as a developer in doing these things quickly. You're not always going to have your favorite framework available. If it helps you code quickly and get something out of the door, then great. Use your favorite framework. But the width and range of these different things that you're going to be throwing out onto the internet means that one size doesn't necessarily fit all. You're going to have to be able to pick things up incredibly quickly and you are going to get things wrong. Just learn from it and be honest with your team. If something goes wrong, share the knowledge. If you've got two coders, make sure the other one knows what you did so that they don't do it. <laughs> yeah, okay. So um, so that's the first step. So sort of getting it out to market, what's, the, what's your process? Outline your process. So the basic outline of the process, at first, you have to get an idea. That's actually surprisingly important. If you don't have a good idea, then it's probably not a good idea to proceed from this point. If your team doesn't have buy-in of your great idea, they don't really care, then it's not going to be the best work that they've ever done. Get an idea that the team is happy with and that everyone is excited to execute. Then if you've got a wall that also happens to be dry erase marker compatible, scribble on it. It's a bit of a 2000 startup thing, but it's actually super liberating. Get the slides, as it were, of someone's flow through the thing that they're going to be using drawn on a wall and then point at it and tell, ask people if it's terrible or a really great idea. So it's brainstorming. It, it is. It's brainstorming and everyone should be involved. Coders should be involved, the artists, the authors, and no one should have particular ability to can ideas, not even the manager, because if the manager's idea is terrible, then the rest of the team needs to be able to can that idea. So it's a collaborative process. Mm -hmm. That's really important. Sometimes the manager will have a brilliant idea. In fact, it's quite frequent. That's what makes them a great manager. But sometimes, you know, your artist is going to have a brilliant idea for copy and you want to run with it. So you've drawn it out. Everyone's gone. Yeah, that looks great. We're going to build that. You then need to prove that a computer can do it. Mm -hmm. Now, that is slightly the reason that this is this late in the process after you've drawn it out is that you don't want to limit creativity in the start phases. By all means, gather ridiculous ideas. If someone says that they want to make your phone hover in midair because that would be really great for the client alignment, then go, yeah, sure. OK, we'll talk about that and then smack them back down to reality at this stage. 
you might need to do some coding at this point because if there is a magical step that requires integrations of different systems, you're going to actually have to prove them at this point. Once you've proved that a computer can do your task, you're going to want to align your deliveries. Coders and artists both really like scurrying off into a corner and working relentlessly and then some amount of time later showing you their shiny thing that they've made. And you need to make sure that they start and finish at approximately the same time and importantly aren't blocked by each other. If you have a coder and an artist working closely together, the coder is going to very quickly have to provide dimensions and placements of art assets that are to be delivered. Now, most of the time, you've already drawn it on the wall, so the coder can put placeholders in, mm. colored rectangles. They're fantastic. Use them all day. And the artist will know to deliver it in vector format, which gets rid of all the questions about resolution because then the coder can resize it. Basically, you don't want coders blocking artists or artists blocking coders. Align your deliveries. That's really important to this. Yeah. Once you've got that sorted, and that should take no longer than about five minutes, you can make a Gantt chart if you really like them. They're pretty and they impress managers. Yeah. Then you're going to have to build it. And the scope of building one of these things is kind of out of the remit of a 20-minute podcast. But the things that I would emphasize are not falling in love with frameworks, which I've already alluded to. Yeah. And find out what the latest and greatest technology is. And as long as it looks like you can learn it in about 10 minutes, then absolutely use it. That's fantastic. Otherwise, fall back to toolkits. Toolkits and frameworks are a little bit different in my mind. I would class, for example, jQuery as a toolkit. Mm. It's not really a framework. It's just something that you can use at your disposal, but is incredibly powerful. If you want to do a ton of stuff modifying a page, jQuery is going to be a great place to start. And people have other things like templating languages like Mustard.js, and that's super. Those are all pretty unopinionated tools at your disposal. So you're going to want to really hone your skills on those. Yeah. So you've built your fantastic thing. You are going to want to run some amount of pre-launch checks, lest you put something totally broken out onto the internet. The most important place that your thing must work is on mobile phones. When I started out in this industry, we were about 40% mobile to 60% desktop and phones were the afterthought. And I'm like a broken record. Hopefully everyone is agreeing with me. Mobiles are by far the most important thing. Yeah. Uh, at BuzzFeed, I think we're 75% mobile now, which is ludicrously uh, great. And that is the primary place to get it working. So does it work on modern iOS? Does it work on modern Android? Those are the most important. Mm -hmm. Then have a look at slightly older iOSes, slightly older Androids, then desktop, then worry about it working on your manager's BlackBerry and Internet Explorer 5 for Mac. They don't really matter that much. If you think it's going to last for a long time or you want to come back to it in the future, go and fix those by all means, but they're not important. Like Get it working on iOS and Android will usually fall in line because, thank God, they use almost the same rendering engine. Hallelujah. The Internet's a much easier place to develop for. You're also, at this point, going to want to make sure that your analytics are firing. If you are not measuring everything that your tool or web toy is doing, then you are running blind. Your mm. analytics should record absolutely everything. I'll go into that into a, dip, a bit detail a little later, but make sure that those are firing and that your social sharing is working. Check, check the flow. Make sure it works. You've done your pre-launch checks. Hooray! We're going to shove it onto the internet. And this is where life gets really interesting because you are going to have people in real time, hopefully a lot of people, on Twitter yelling at you about your thing. And they might be yelling... This is the best thing ever, Andy. You have built something incredible and I love it and I'm going to share it with my friends. Equally, they might be yelling, 
this doesn't work and it's offensive, <laughs> at which point you really quickly need to fix it. You either need to apologize, you need to fix it or pivot. Mm. Fixing it is important stage. I don't think in my time with us versus them, which is where I did a huge majority of these fast builds and was the focus of my Brighton SEO talk. I don't think I launched a single us versus them project without some kind of absolutely huge flaw in it. And usually it would just be quite funny. Something not working would actually win you a little bit of favor. But the important thing is, is that we could fix it really quickly. Our server processes, our deploy processes meant that we could fix them within 30 seconds. If we hit save, if we committed it up to the Git repository, it would be live and served out to absolutely everyone within about 30 seconds. Yes. Uh, having your server infrastructure able to be that reactive mm. is super important. And then make the next thing. Because you've gone through this chaotic, mad process that you're going to fall in love with and you can move on. Don't fester, don't obsess over something for too long. Take those learnings, take that experience and use it to make the next thing even better. Because this is quite different, isn't it? Because in the traditional um, sense of like software development and you're, you're putting a product out there, you, you, you kind of do your research first, don't you? And you test your market. This is very different, isn't it? I suppose because it's a viral, it needs to go out quick, I guess. Yeah, that's absolutely right. If you're newsjacking, for example, most news only has a half-life of about half a day unless it's something really big. And if it's something really big, you want to be a little bit careful about riffing off it because it's very, very easy to be tone deaf. One of the most crucial aspects of the team is the writing team. At Us Versus Them, we hired ex-journalists and aspiring journalists and their ethical call on things and whether the tone of voice was right or wrong mm. saved us countless times. We usually got the tone about correct. As far as doing market research first, users are fantastic beta testers. You can do a soft launch. You can like just whisper about it and just say, hey, hey, we launched a thing about 10 minutes before your big fanfare. And the initial trickle of your really excited, engaged, you know, first responders will tell you if it works or not. And you'll also win a little bit of favor by putting something slightly scruffy out on the Internet. I mean, if you've only spent two hours building something, it's going to look like you spent two hours building something, no matter how much you are. Yeah. And you win good favor from people because it looks a bit rough around the edges. It's really weird psychology, but it works. If you give them something that looks like it should work perfectly, they are going to expect it to. If it looks a bit scruffy around the edges and it, you know, it doesn't work quite right, then people will shrug it off because they think this looks like a team that made something in two hours. Talking of challenges, I mean, what, what, I know you've probably alluded to some of them already, but what are the commonest types of mistakes would you say people make when launching these small apps? I can certainly go into some of the ones that actually happened to me. I think Even my better. Uh, Trinity Mirror has expired, so I can, I can reveal uh, the, the near misses that we had. Sometimes it doesn't work on someone's computer because we completely forgot to test it on their given browser. Mm. Firefox is actually a really common one. I alluded earlier to the fact that iOS and Android, because they both, well, they used to share the WebKit engine, but they're still very similar. If you get it rendering on one, it will usually work on the other. And then Chrome and Safari, they all use much the same engine. Firefox sometimes just completely blinkered to us. We'd load it up in there, and because it's not WebKit-based engine, mm. it didn't even remotely look correct. <laughs> all the CSS transforms were all over the place. It, it, it would be a mess, and then we would just go and quickly fix it. So sometimes you forget that a segment of users are still using Firefox, and you, know, you go and fix it afterwards. Every now and then, we would literally forget to put analytics in, and we would be running around with our heads on fire because people would be saying, this isn't working, and we could not figure out why. Putting analytics in as you go is much easier than putting them in afterwards because they're quite tightly integrated with all of the different events that your 
interactive is generating button clicks, level progressions, social sharing prompts. You need to be logging absolutely everything. And if you don't have that, then you're running blind. In other cases, the legal team will run down the stairs because they've caught wind that you're about to insult a major advertising client and they come down and go, can you not? And then you put your work in the bin. Or otherwise, the server simply falls over. If you're doing something on the back end and you're doing recording, logging, analytics, something a little bit clever, if 10,000 people try and use your thing, and you know we'd consider that a decent success at us versus them, mm. is your server just going to fall over and catch fire? It's happened more than once to us. I mean, you learn quickly how to make scalable services on a shoestring budget, which is a great skill to have, but only after your server has caught fire a few times. I think those were the most common mistakes. As long as your server's okay, as long as you test it with your audience, and as long as you have your analytics and your social sharing working, you're probably all right. Analytics is obviously really key. You mentioned it a few times. Let's just drill down into that. What do you do sort of analytic-wise after you launch So I am a super bore on analytics. I will go on and on about developers who will listen because you should be logging absolutely everything. Google Analytics, for example, is an absolutely great tool that most organizations probably already use. If you don't have a soul, then Adobe Omniture is also fine, I guess. And you should be logging absolutely everything. If you do have a good analytics suite, it won't have any effect on your end user. You can send off an analytic event, their browser won't slow down, it won't stop them what they're doing, it will just in the background try its best to send that back to you. If you're logging every part of a user's journey through your tool, then using much the same process as you would by analyzing a sales funnel, you can have a look at an interactive funnel and just see where people drop off. For example, if people are getting through levels one and two super quickly and it's working great and they all seem happy loads of smiling faces and no one is really getting to level three then you know something has gone really badly wrong at the end of level two or the handover to level three you can can simply watch people drop out of that track and away you go and there's a lot of interesting things that you can do with analytics after the fact we had a um oh what was the interactive we had for us versus them it was uh where the hell is damascus don't ask us in which we asked you to click on a world map of where you thought Damascus was. Mm -hmm. And it would tell you how many miles out you were. Good giggle, because Damascus was in the news. And I probably still couldn't tell you where Damascus was on a map, even though I helped, you know, launch that one and spread it around. I think that was slightly before my time there, but uh, always fun to have a look around. And one of the things that we did with the analytics on that was just uh, segment it on Google Analytics to the IP ranges from the uh, Houses of Parliament in Westminster. And we had a good old look at the average guess and how far away it was, and then produced a heat map of where the House of Parliament thought Damascus was. So uh, <laughs> you will always find something interesting in your audience. I would say if you pull that trick too often, you might put people in Parliament off playing your thing. So use it, you know, sparingly. Don't target your audience. Be nice. But analytics are absolutely critical in my eyes. I I, I will be a bore about it. You only can see as much as you log, so you should log absolutely everything. So there we have it. If you're uh, thinking of doing a viral app of some sort, this is how to do it. How can our listeners find out more about you and more about BuzzFeed, Paul? BuzzFeed is a fantastic entertainment website slash network, which you may have heard of. It's on buzzfeed.com. You can find me on twitter.com, the website. Sometimes my tweets are good. I'm at at CR3. That's CR and the number three. If you mention you've come from the Site Visibility Podcast, I will write you a small poem to say hello. (laughs) If you've already got me blocked on Twitter, it's because I tweeted angrily at you about your poorly targeted campaign, and I'm not actually very sorry. 
I like your Twitter handle at CR3. Isn't that a postcode in Croydon? It is. And I would say that they were beating me on Google, but uh, to be one of the main reasons that I went to Brighton SEO, that I, I put my time into doing the presentation and, you know, giving away my secrets so that everyone can compete with me, is that if you search for my full name, Paul Curry on Google, the results that you'll get are not often me. Sadly, there's a man in America who did a few murders, uh, or maybe just one really good murder, and he's outranking me. I asked a few different people how I could outrank the murderous Paul Curry, and no one really had any good advice for me. So if anyone can help with that, please do let me know. Well, talking of um, feedback, the way you can feedback is that there's two ways to do that. The um, email is podcast at sitevisibility.com. And if you want to leave a comment or a question, we do like questions, by the way, because we're planning to do some more questions and answers in the future. The magic phone line is plus four four one two seven three two five six one five zero. Show notes are in the usual place, sitevisibility.com slash podcast. And that's it from me, Andy. And that's it from Paul. Bye. And we'll see you next time on Internet Marketing. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter. A health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.